Everything is a trade-off because we have limited resources and especially the most valuable resource our time, it's limited. And so we always need to make trade-offs. That's not to say that we should always focus on the most productive work of 12 hours, as I said, 12 hours a day, as I said. It's just to understand what, what you can do instead and compare your uh, current pace of life, what you do to your, to your next best alternative, to your opportunity cost. This podcast shows that Ukraine is not what foreigners see on television. In reality, Ukrainian people are much better, much more interesting and friendly than other people expect. This podcast is about the real life, experiences, work, and personalities of Ukrainian people with a focus on the capital, Kiev, so that foreigners discover the positive truth about Ukraine, visit the country, invest in the economy, creating more opportunities for the younger Ukrainian generations to stay and build their country. Hello, my name is Aziz, and I have a deep connection with Ukraine. My grandfather actually was one of the volunteers in 1987 to help clean the Chernobyl chemical radiation because he believed in humanity. He was a real hero for me, and even though he struggled with cancer after that for the rest of his life and lost his teeth, he always told me so many great things about Ukraine and its people. And from 2018 to 2019, for two years, I began working with UNICEF in Ukraine to build orphanages for the children who lost their families in the war. I could not return to Ukraine in 2020 because of COVID-19. So this project is my volunteer work to help Ukraine. And thank you all so much for the support. This podcast now is ranking number one on Apple's podcast about Ukraine, top 60 travel podcasts in the UK, top 50 travel podcasts in Italy, top 25 travel podcasts in Apple Russia, and top 20 on Apple Poland, so that the world will hear the voices of Ukraine. My guest today is Oleksiy Antoniuk. Alex was born in the west of Ukraine, earned a full scholarship in the Future Leaders Program Flex by the U.S., State Department as one of the top 1.5% of applicants from post-Soviet countries, and he spent a year in North Texas. He earned the Mayor's Award as the most academically and civically engaged among 6,000-plus students in 2018 and 2020, and graduated his high school with honors and a GPA of 11.47 out of 12. And he is doing a bachelor's degree at Yale University in prospective global affairs and statistics and data science. He was a youth trade advisor to the G20, or in France, it's G20, a delegate to the Foreign Affairs Committee at the European Youth Parliament, a lead debater at the Debate Federation of Ukraine, a coordinator of COVID-19 relief fundraiser in Ukraine, at Sunflower of Peace, and one of the top 50 Ukraine Global Scholar finalists for excellent academic achievement and multi-year commitment to community service and youth diplomacy, and a mentor helping talented and ambitious Ukrainian students from low-income families gain free education in the U.S. in order to contribute to the growth 
of Ukraine, which matches our message perfectly as one of the goals of this podcast as well, is to understand the reason for the brain drain and maybe help offer solutions that will allow and encourage the foreigners abroad to return and build their country. He was also an international relations and political science research assistant at Yale University an Assistant Secretary General for the Outreach at the Yale International Relations Association, and now an intern in the Ukrainian Parliament at the Office of the Secretary of Foreign Affairs Committee. His dream is to become a diplomat and transform Eastern Europe into a more peaceful place. Alexei, how are you? Uh, I'm great. Thank you for having me. Can you begin with your origin story, which is like, I'm imagining you're a superhero. So whether it's Batman with his origin story of his parents getting shot in an alley and therefore he decided to fight crime and justice, or it was Spider-Man where his uncle was shot because he did not help the people when that bank was robbed. And therefore he uh, he has heard and decided that with great power comes great responsibility. Well, what is the story that made you the superhero of today? Let's have fun, why not? Uh, uh, My story is actually way more ordinary than what you proposed. But I I wish my story would be like that, with Batman and all these things. Uh, so I am, I live in a pretty small town in Western Ukraine. It's called Kolomea. And uh, my parents are ordinary middle class. Um, I went also to an ordinary public high school. But I've always uh, wanted to, to get the best education in this world. And that's why I always uh, studied well and... Uh, I wanted to go to the United States where I can get a very nice education. And also, I've never, since my child, since I can remember myself, I've never wanted just to sit and uh, like read books or uh, play video games. I always wanted to do something, something especially eventful and exciting and everyday new. I always wanted to meet many new people. And uh, that's probably what. Uh, got me on the way of self-development and uh, participation in the com- community involvement. I started helping uh, Ukrainian uh, young leaders from Kolomea implement their own community projects uh, and um, advance uh, youth civil society in my town. Wait, wait, wait. This is wonderful. I am interested now in something that you mentioned, which sounds really wonderful. You said you worked with leaders or maybe young leaders or established leaders, I'm not sure, in your small town, in your community, so that they will implement their projects, which will be great for society there. Is this correct? Yes, yes, it's completely correct. Uh, I worked, uh, I helped young leaders in my town get necessary project management skills and uh, help uh, obtain funding from uh, from from the government from uh, private companies and so so on and uh, my great one second this is this is very useful two things what skills did you notice they were missing well i understand you will say you know project management and fundraising but i mean specifically what 
because you cannot teach them the whole of project management and you cannot give them all the skills and fundraising. So what three tips or three pieces of advice when it comes to project management and in getting sponsorship or funding from the government and from uh, local companies or bigger companies that are national, you tended to give to those people that helped them the most so that the listeners can also learn. Um, one of the biggest obstacles uh, for young leaders in my town to organize projects was actually not even the lack of such skills, but it was um, the lack of motivation and uh, the understanding that they can make a change in their small community. Um, because, well, Ukraine is uh, has way, uh, way not that much developed uh, startup and social entrepreneurship culture as, for instance, the US does. One second. This is good. I know. And I would love you speaking more about that. And that's more of a political science, but I'm interested more mm-hmm. now to go into the details. So how did you change people who didn't have intrinsic motivation and they had mindset that was a limiting mindset, not a growth mindset, a mindset of being fixed and of not changing. Because what happened is the hardest thing you can do in the world is change people's attitudes and mindsets. But the fact that they came to you means probably they didn't have that mindset. So to speak more clearly, one, you said the lack of motivation, which means that the intrinsic motivation was not there or the inner drive, as they will say in business school. Or mm-hmm. is uh, did you find and notice that the people who are motivated, the few, are the ones that came to use your help? Or how did you deal with them? Were you part of an organization that they were forced almost or they were it was necessary for them to deal with you? Or how was that? Because in one simple word, people with fixed mindset don't seek help. And therefore, how did they come to you? Or did you get people who did not have that, but the few people with a growth mindset? Um, So we first organized a project called Factory of Success. This was a project that aimed at um, helping teenagers actually obtain this growth mindset. And we invited 10 speakers, 10 successful speakers from our town that uh, would tell their success stories that would show that it is not necessary to move to Kyiv or to the EU to to become successful. And uh, we gathered around 50, 100 people uh, to teenagers to listen to all of these stories. And at the beginning, they were extremely shy. They didn't want to ask questions. And uh, they uh, had little ideas of how can they use the knowledge and the experience these successful people presented them during their speaking uh, for their own lives. They didn't know how to use all of that uh, knowledge. So we were helping them bond with, with each other. We were um, encouraging discussion with the speakers between each other and eventually if at the beginning no one wanted to ask any questions uh and our when our last 10th speaker ended his speech everyone was like wanted to ask questions how how can i do the same as you did how how can i use your ideas to implement my own social community project and so on and so forth and i think that uh this is the most important thing in making people motivated to engage in community work or social entrepreneurship 
is to um, give an example and not just some imaginary Elon Musk or Bill Gates or whoever uh, has succeeded on the global scene. People need example from their communities uh, because they are the part of their community. If you give them examples of some of a Bill, Bill Gates and successful startup, people will just, oh, this Bill Gates, far away, it's in America. Like, I won't be able to do the same thing. But if you give them an example of a person, they may know, they may see on the streets and uh, they may see the, they may be uh, with them together during like some musical concerts, be them in the restaurant and so on and so forth. Then teenagers and start understand that, start understanding that they can achieve the same things if they put enough energy. This was probably one of the, our most important insights from organizing factor of success. This is wonderful what you're mentioning. And one of the biggest objections that marketers deal with is in reality that people will think, oh, that other person succeeded, but they're too different for me. Oh, it worked for you, but uh, my situation is special and unique and different. And therefore, you have noticed this and you observed this kind of thing that marketers are very familiar with in the youth and you are correcting it by bringing human interest stories that are local to them and similar to them to show them through demonstration which is the most powerful way to show proof that this can work for you it's not just some story or fairy tale from distant lands that you have no connection with these are your neighbors your uh, um, parents, friends, your relatives, the neighbors of your relatives, which means it's possible for you too, through preponderance of proof and showing 10 different speakers who are sharing concrete, demonstrable examples of their ability to succeed in a small town. And that is absolutely wonderful. I wish and I would love, and we will speak more about this, but I'm curious about something. How? Can you be so productive to achieve so much at such a young age? What lessons, what insights, what processes, which frameworks or understandings or ways of prioritization that allowed you to achieve what you achieved? Well, like you said, most people are either reading some book about like some story, maybe the Twilight Zone or something like that. Uh, or uh, playing video games or watching Money Heist on Netflix. And Money Heist is cool. I don't want people to think that I'm saying it's bad. No, definitely, definitely. And and books are cool too. I, I love to read books. It's just at that young age when I, uh, about which I was telling my story, I, I just, all I wanted to do is like meet new people. And I couldn't stay focused on reading books or doing a lot of homework, studying. It just, uh, it, it didn't feel as exciting to me. And about how could I achieve uh, so much? I don't know. It's like, there is no secret. You just, you just need to work. And uh, sometimes it can be hard to work because there are a lot of tasks, especially when you're organizing many projects and those projects, there are deadlines, so on. It's, it's, it can be hard, but I can't really give any specific advice on how, how to achieve much. You just, you just need to work much, and that's pretty much it. I love it. It reminds me of the title of a book. It's called Work for a Reason. So <laughs> it's exactly that. It's hard work, actually. It's not called 
uh, fun or uh, recreation. It's called work for a reason. Then to ask you, more than once, you mentioned that you love to meet new people. You mentioned community, which makes me think of three questions to ask you, or maybe it's already obvious. Well, was there a moment that you realized the fascination or you began this passion or interest in people? And what is the most valuable thing you get out of meeting people? Is it learning? Is it connection? Is it just that oxytocin from being bonded and in community with someone else? Please take notes because I'm going to ask a lot of things. And third, is this also what translated into your interest in politics, which means that you went from the local personal level, one-on-one, to local community, to a whole country level, and to global international politics, which is the highest form of uh, human relationships that uh, there is until we have intergalactic kind of <laughs> politics and then there will be higher? Uh, so it's a very nice question. Um, as far as I can remember myself, I I was always like 100% extrovert. Always enjoyed being with people and uh, meeting new people, speaking with them. At the same time, what 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 all of these communication interactions with others gives me is probably, first of all, it's connections that you know people that know people that may help you achieve something and may help them achieve something. And that's because only through collaboration we can uh, hu- humans in general can uh, implement any project. Uh, so therefore. It's very important to have all the connections um, that social interactions bring. And One yeah. second, this is really dear to my heart. No, no, I mean, I'm going to stop you, although it's so fascinating. Look, I was speaking one time to a Google executive, and he said, look, what happened to me, I had coffee with someone who told me, oh, uh, uh, there is this job opening in Google. Are you interested? And he was like, yes. So that was a human connection that got him there and an executive from a bank in Ukraine who used to be a lawyer. And he said the same thing, like a friend of his, he said, oh, okay, you're a lawyer, but you're interested in business and finance. There is this important position in a bank. Do you want to be part of it? And it was like, yes. So both of them, they said, well, human connections open doors for us that are not even possible, or there is a book by Leonard Modilnow or something like that, which is How Randomness Rules Our Lives, which talks about this chaos theory, Brownian movement kind of uh, situation where actually through a lot of luck that comes from more connections with people, doors open that are not possible to open just simply through staying alone and working hard. Can you share one or two stories from your life? where human connections allowed you to do something that actually was like, wow, thank you, other human beings. Thank you. This is making my life better. Oh, yeah, there were a lot of stories like that. Um, one of the most recent ones uh, was that was getting an internship in the Ukrainian parliament. And I am a first-year student. And uh, I have little skills, little knowledge about politics. So... It's pretty hard to get an internship uh, through application-based process. And uh, it's in general, even through connections, pretty hard to get internships. And so 
I was, I anyways wanted to get into the Ukrainian parliament. I wanted to get the experience of how it is to work in the in politics, how it is to work in the foreign affairs field. Not just read books, research, but to really implement policies. And um, I thought about how I could try to get access to Ukrainian uh, uh, parliamentaries. And uh, I remembered how I helped one of the local local political parties in my town with water communications. Because I have been doing, I was a debate at the head of the debate union in my town. The local party invited me to help them with water communication. And so I reached out to the leader of this party uh, with, uh, with the, uh, and asked him whether it would be possible for him to introduce me to the parliamentary, to the member of parliament, and ask whether I would be able to intern there. And it did work. And right now I'm the intern there and helping the Secretary of Foreign Affairs Committee in, Ukra- in Ukrainian parliament with analysis of international relations briefs, with preparation of different policies, and so on and so forth. And that's one of the examples how social connections are important. And probably the most uh, important insight I've gained after getting this uh, internship and communicating and going through all this process of communication is that it's of course happens that sometimes opportunities get to you by themselves, that some people offer you a position or um, spontaneously introduce you to the right person. However, most of the times you need to seek social connections by yourselves. I'm going to ask about a few things because this is wonderful. One, I saw that you had experience in outreach, which is, well, I'm very familiar with it. And I remember, you know, I was listening to a lecture from Stanford about chaos theory and the evolutionary adaptation of plants. And it reminded me very much of outreach where they say that in in that chaos theory kind of thing, evolution or nature is trying many different variations, more than 95% of them fail, but that's how it finds what will work and that will continue to the next level. And therefore in outreach, we also get like 95% of outreach that doesn't work but that 5% is like the venture capitalists where they invest 95% of their money to get nothing, but the 5% will be unicorns that will give them 100x their money and therefore it's extremely profitable. So did you have such an experience when you're outreaching that most don't work, but when it works, it's like, bam, it's so amazing and wow and wonderful, which is something really cool. And you also spoke about something else, which is that you don't wait for opportunities, but you go out there and seek them, which is when you think about the Carl Jung model of uh, psychoanalysis and archetypes, and you group them into what he calls the uh, masculine dynamic, the masculine static, the feminine dynamic, and the feminine static. Well, the masculine dynamic is what walks into the unknown to go look for the opportunities that are there to bring them back to the tribe or to whatever, which means that part of the psychology and the healthy operation of human beings, or at least 25, 25% of that, should be to go out into the unknown and be proactive in reaching to what you want to get and to take those chances and 
by it being the unknown by definition like i mentioned you will fail 95 percent of the time you'll find nothing but that five percent or less it will be like 100x of the value can you please comment on this yeah it's, it's definitely like that is outreach especially if working for startups or uh, social community projects not a lot of businesses uh, want want to give money Be- especially right now when we have uh, the economic crisis in the world so it's important to understand that most of the, your attempts will will uh, fail while some of them will succeed and they'll bring you success however it's hard i understand that it's very hard to maintain this uh, mindset because when you try it 100 times and 95 of when you tried 95 times 95 times you failed it's very hard to still have a hope that the next five attempts or the next attempt will succeed because all of your previous experience shows uh, a completely different picture and my remedy to this how i tackle um uh, this uh, lack of success in the past to hope that in the future it'll succeed is that i have I try to set concrete goals and plans for what what I want to achieve, and uh, when I have this this goal, I can better understand how likely it is that my outreach will succeed, and uh, therefore I can understand the odds of it. Because there there is there is a theory that if you do something, uh, you should not have my ma- many plans. You should just do it like you feel you do. You just should follow intuition. And I'm not a strong supporter of this theory. I think that planning is way more important than intuition, especially in terms of outreach, because of the low rate of success, low success rate. And it can drive your intuition crazy if you fail many times. So when you have a plan, when you have a developed strategy, and a great understanding of how how likely your outreach will succeed, then then I think you will be able to overcome these the all of the frustration you may notice at the beginning. This is wonderful, and I'm gonna take it to Ayn Rand and objectivism as well as inner and outer locus of control. I am sensing, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that it seems to be you are someone who has an inner locus of control. What does this mean? It means that since a long time, you have trusted your own opinions, conclusions, and beliefs, and plans to create the life you want and be proactive, rather than be one of the people who listen to what the common agreement uh, that other people say should be the right way, and just following that plan based on what others have decided or concluded which Ayn Rand would call a second-hander. So to ask you, really, did you always have this strong sense of proactivity, self-trust, and inner locus of control? Or was there a situation where you were not this way because most children are not, and then you had the realization because of something happening, and you thought, no, this will not serve me to get the life I want. I should think for myself, decide for myself, count on myself, and act based on what I believe? Um, I'm actually, I wouldn't say I'm completely for a locus of control. I'm like in the middle of it. Is that the most influential uh, moment in my life that made me, that formed my understanding of locus of control and secondhandness 
It's probably when I was reading uh, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. And there he presented how many people are just taking, just subjectively evaluating their success rate. They're thinking, wow, it's such a cool project. Like, it's going to succeed. Yeah, maybe many startups like that fail, but mine's going to succeed 100%, right? And from statistical perspective, that's a pretty wrong assumption because uh, the success rate is not 100%. And I think that we should look, when we are evaluating the success of our project, uh, we should, the, evaluating the prospects of our project, we should look at how similar projects uh, have performed in the past. For instance, we're doing startup in uh, techno, in fintech in this specific field. We look at previous startups, how many of them failed, how many of them succeeded, and uh, this is a base rate. For instance, 10% success rate. That's a base rate. And then you look at how your idea differs from uh, the projects that were already implemented in the past. And uh, if your idea is more similar to successful projects or you think your idea will be more successful than the average uh, fintech project, then you should increase your uh, success rate by like 5-10%. It's, it's up to your evaluation how much. But you should always... Um, the, you should anchor on this baseline success rate. And uh, if you anchor on this baseline success rate, you will you'll achieve a lot. So I think that it is, it is more important to combine both what the history tells us and what your own opinion is. I am interested. I am hearing that basically you're using either that um, Warren Buffett what he talks about is the probabilistic decision tree or a variation of it. So let's think about thinking. Do you use some thinking tools to make decisions on a consistent basis? Or do you trust your gut? Or is this just an example that you're giving in a specific project and you're not one of those people who might spend like one hour in the morning on reflection, deep work, using tools to think and look from different perspectives at your life, your vision, your projects and goals? I'm definitely not the person that spends so much time on reflection. And although sometimes I regret about it, but usually just I don't have much time for that because uh, my studies are pretty rigorous and it's really hard for me to dedicate much time to even... Uh, relaxing and uh, watching movies or hanging out with friends. So, um, so that's why I don't spend that much time uh, re reflecting on my life, on on my day, and so on. However, the most important technique—it's not more even a technique. It's just it's just understanding, like a understanding of a concept. The most important concept concept for uh, time management. And understanding the uh, just just time management is probably trade-off that when you do something you don't do something else because many people think oh I'm gonna spend time on this it's gonna be great I'm gonna like earn twenty dollars right but then you when you think what you on what you can spend your time instead the prospect of earning that amount of money is not that. Uh, is not that uh, uh, so say palpable than, for instance, when you were studying. And that's only by understanding all of the trade-off options 
and what uh, what benefits all these trade-off options give to you. That's how you manage my time. And you don't need a lot of time spending to understand what you can do, what you should, what you shouldn't do. It just goes naturally, and that's it. There, there is, there is a little tell on uh, my time management. This is the only trick. This is very valuable. So what you're mentioning is opportunity cost and probabilistic thinking. So to ask you, do you approach then your life in this way? How do you view the world? Like. Do you see the world always in terms of probabilities, opportunity, cost, or like you said, the alternative and their uh, probability and workability and viability? Or is this something you only use for more professional ways? I mean, how do you see the world? And I know that's a big question, but I mean, which models of thinking or ways of approaching reality that to you seem to be the consistent uh, understandings that are valuable and applicable uh, in a majority of situations. I think that everything in the world is a trade-off. No matter what you do, it has the opportunity cost. If you work 12 hours a day, a day, you're probably losing out on spending a lot of time with your friends, family, doing some hobbies. But on the other hand, if you are just partying all day long, do not work, do not study, you're also losing out on uh, future opportunities that, that studying and working may give you. So it's not only in the professional way, you just, everything is a trade-off because we have limited resources and especially the most valuable resource, our time, it's limited. And so we always need to make trade-offs. And uh, that's not to say that we should always focus on the most productive work of 12 hours, as I said, 12 hours a day, as I said, it's it's important just to understand what what you can do instead and compare your uh, current pace of life what you do to your to your next best alternative to your opportunity cost thank you this was such a valuable and enjoyable interview i had a lot of fun personally can you conclude with any concluding remarks that you will share with foreigners about Ukraine and some advice maybe to the listeners, as well as if people want to communicate with you or connect with you, which are your favorite links for them to uh, get in touch? Uh, I'll probably start is, is the last question. Uh, I'm always happy to connect on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, maybe Telegram for Ukrainian uh, listeners. Um, would you be able to leave my contacts in the podcast description? Always and of course. Yeah, sure. And now about concluding remarks about Ukraine. Um, one of the most, one of the primary reasons why I decided to uh, support Aziz uh, in his uh, cause and provide my, and tell my own story, his podcast, is that I believe that Ukraine is not just the stereotypes that uh, the media presents. Ukraine is not just Chernobyl, and it's not just a constant struggle between the West and Russia, and it's also not just uh, a backyard of Russia. Ukraine is in itself very unique. It has authentic culture. And uh, our little, a few people know that our IT sector, for instance, is like the fifth largest in the world. 
and our and many American uh, yeah, many American IT firms they go to Ukraine. They move to Ukraine because here you have great educated workforce and you have much cheaper labor than the United States. And Ukraine also has made many inventions uh, of everyday applications used right now. Um, helicopter, there was a Ukrainian invention, and now we see helicopters everywhere. And there are m many, many such inventions. And I would love, I would like to invite uh, our your our uh, listeners to come to Ukraine one day when uh, the pandemic is over, and just to speak with Ukrainian people. And they will learn that Ukraine is much more than just those stereotypes. And Ukrainian people are unique. And there is there is a space for for everyone here. Thank you so much for this and for those words. Thank you so much for hanging me. It was a pleasure for me.